0: This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's sermon on the text Matthew chapter twenty-two, verses fifteen to twenty-two. The question about paying taxes to Caesar was preached on the twenty-third Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information on the Luther Sermon Podcast or to hear more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora. Dot org. This sermon is from Luther's House Postle, and I'm reading from a translation published by J.A. Schulze, publisher of Columbus, Ohio, in 1884, a text and translation that's in the public domain. This Sunday for many people is Reformation Sunday, but for Luther, there was no such thing. So we hear the sermon for the 23rd Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. First, the Gospel reading, Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22. Then went the Pharisees, and took counsel how they might entangle him, Jesus, in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples, with their Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth, neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar, or not but jesus perceived their wickedness and said why tempt ye me ye hypocrites show me the tribute money and they brought unto him a penny and he saith unto them whose is this image and superscription they say unto him caesar's then saith he unto them render therefore unto caesar the things which are caesar's and unto god the things that are god's When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him, and went their way. So far the text, Luther's Sermon. The facts recorded in the Gospel for today were occasioned by certain promises in the writings of Moses, according to which the people of Israel, if they would adhere to the laws of God, should have a kingdom of their own and a king out of their own people, and not be subject to a foreign king. To this promise the Israelites held and. They were confident that it would be fulfilled. But when the Romans came and overpowered them, though at a great sacrifice, the Jews were very much offended and caused a great deal of anguish and tribulation in the country, hoping to liberate themselves again from foreign bondage. But they were completely vanquished and so humbled that they could never again venture to rise against the Romans. Here we may behold the vice of all of us all. One thing the Jews had remembered well, namely, that they should have a kingdom of their own. But what was connected with it, to wit, that they were to keep the commands of God and to undertake nothing against His will, they did not remember. The kingdom, they would say, belongs to us, and we will have it, just as if a maidservant would tell her mistress, The wages you have promised and the wages I will have, but I will do otherwise as I please. But this will never do, and such a servant will soon be told, If you expect wages, you must work and do what I tell you. The same was the case with the Jews. They were disobedient and stubborn and did not regard God's commands, and yet they expected to be free. Hence it was a great question among them. Shall we submit to the emperor of Rome, a heathen, notwithstanding that we have a definite promise to have a king of our own? There They therefore take counsel together how they may entangle the Lord in his talk. They send out to him their disciples with the Herodians to ask him, Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? They imagine that they have cornered him, whether he would say yea or nay. They argue thus, if the Lord shall say yea, the whole people will arise against him and will call him a blasphemer and a liar whose doctrines are in opposition to the doctrine of God and of Moses. For there the promise was given that they should be a free and separate nation, and that they should not serve a foreign or heathen master. If, on the other hand, he should say nay, he has again pronounced his own sentence, Of this they are sure, because the Romans would not endure it. In this strait they endeavor to put him, so that, whether he says yea or nay, he is ensnared and ruined. This is the wickedness and poison of the enemies of our Lord Jesus Christ. But how do they succeed in their wicked plans? The Lord turns the weapon with which they had intended to destroy him, and conquers them with their own weapon. Show me the tribute money, he says. And when they had brought unto him a penny, he asks them, Whose is this image in superscription? This seems to be a very simple proceeding. The Pharisees as yet do not think of being detected in their wickedness, and therefore they answer very readily, The image in superscription are Caesar's. This is all the Lord wants to hear. He now asks them, Did you say that this image and superscription are Caesar's? They answer, Yes, we say it. The Lord now continues, If then you have Caesar's goods and money, then render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. By confessing that they make use of Caesar's money, they confessed also that they accepted him as their emperor. Hence it is an easy matter for the Lord to draw the conclusion from their own words that the things which belong to Caesar should not be taken from him. This is the occasion of our gospel lesson. The Pharisees endeavored to betray him and to sell the Lord Jesus whilst they themselves had to swallow the bitter cup which they had intended for him. They intended to entangle him in his talk, but entangled themselves. He does not need to say either yea or nay as an answer to their question. They themselves intimate to him, by their own talk, what to answer, and hand over to him the sword wherewith to slay them. This narrative teaches us two things. First, to learn from the deplorable example of the Jews, our own depravity. We all, without exception, feel inclined to complain when in any way we feel hurt. We imagine that we are wronged. And indeed, as regards to our relations to men, we are sometimes wronged. We have not deserved of them that they should deal so unfaithfully with us. Therefore we see nothing but our rights and the wrongs committed by our opponents. We cry and complain as the Jews did against the Romans who reigned over the people of God in opposition to God and right. They had no right, as we have said, to wage war against them and to subdue them, because they were heathens who did not have the word of God and the true worship as the Jews had. This was very painful to the Jews. They presumed that they had well understood their rights, but they missed it, as in such cases we also miss it. For although your neighbor has wronged you, you should not put so high an estimate upon it, but ask, How would it be if I had grievously sinned against God and therefore deserved TO BE DEPRIVED, NOT MERELY OF MY RIGHTS, BUT ALSO OF MY LIFE AND EXISTENCE. THIS IS THE FIRST POINT WHICH WE SHOULD TAKE TO HEART. IT IS TRUE, THE JEWS FOUND IT EXCEEDINGLY HARD TO BE SUBJECT TO A HEATHEN EMPEROR. THEY THOUGHT, WE ARE THE PEOPLE OF GOD, whilst THE HEATHEN KNOW NOTHING OF GOD, BUT LIVE IN IDOLATRY AND SHAME. HOW CAN IT BE THAT WE SHOULD BE THEIR SERVANTS AND THEY BE OUR MASTERS? THE GOD-FEARING AND pious, HOWEVER, LIFTED THEIR HANDS TO GOD AND ASKED FOR MERCY. They did not contend for rights at all, but knew that they were not deserving of any. The reason was this. The doctrine publicly preached was wrong, as we see in our gospel lesson. Neither was the discipline worth anything. Avarice, usury, licentiousness, pride, luxury, and other sins were sweeping along like a mighty wave. What could our Lord God do under these circumstances? Should he protect them whilst they did not in the least care for his word? Should he secure to them their rights whilst they would not even bend a finger for him and his service? This he could not do. Because they would not recognize his rights, he had good reason for not recognizing their rights either. Neither had God promised them a temporal kingdom to be continued forever, but he had attached a condition to his promise. He had promised them a kingdom if they would be pious and obedient and keep his commandments. These conditions they lost sight of, and did not care for his word, and yet they wanted God to protect their government, no matter whether they were pious or wicked, like a servant who demands his wages, whether he has earned them or not. But the rule is, do what you have been commanded, and you shall receive what is right. If a servant is neither pious, nor obedient, nor willing to pay his tribute, he is not wronged if his master takes from him both his estate and his rights, and gives it to another who is more faithful, and does what is due to his lord. Hence we should be moderate in our complaints, and be reasonable, and not merely look to our own rights over against others, but we should also remember our own wrongs over against God. And in all humility and patience lift up our hands unto God, saying, It is true I have been wronged, and have not deserved such treatment by this man, but I must look around and consider my own conduct towards God. If I do this, I will find and be convinced that I have sinned against God Ten, twenty, yea, even a thousand times more than my neighbor has sinned against me. Therefore it becomes me to forget my complaints, and to say, Forgive, O Lord, I will forgive also. It would be wrong to defend our rights to the very last, whilst we have been doing so much wrong against God. It is true, if one is able to defend his rights in a proper way, and by fair means he cannot be blamed, law and justice have been instituted by God, For the purpose of being used. But where our right cannot be maintained, let everyone abstain from litigation and from being impatient, but let him turn and say, I should have had my rights, and those offending me should have been condemned, but I must confess that before God I have deserved such wrong. Then we would not do like the Jews, who in their life and conduct set a bad example, and still insist on their rights, though God did not have his rights at their hands. It is just as in the case of the wicked peasants, who expect protection from the government but will not pay tribute nor give anything such wantonness god has condemned by giving the sword into the hands of the powers that be if these people will not pay their dues of their own account they can be taken hold of and compelled this however cannot be said without reference to the poor preachers they have no such power to compel those who do not pay them what they owe Therefore wicked citizens and peasants imagine that they do right when they do not give them anything, or at least not of the best, but of the very poorest quality. And what is the consequence? If a pastor cannot punish nor secure his rights, God will take the matter in hand and send pestilence among men and beasts. He will send thieves and officers to take what is left. He permits grapes, grain, fruit, and vegetable to be destroyed by thunderstorms. Then it may be said, Dear citizen, dear peasant, do not complain of suffering wrong. You may imagine that you suffer wrong, but before God you receive your dues. Before him you have deserved all, yea, even worse things. Hence do not complain of suffering wrong, but complain on account of your sins and impenitence, and on account of your covetousness, pride, carnal security, contempt of God's word, etc. Such sins turn your rights into real wrongs. Of these facts the Lord reminds the Jews. Because they have lost their kingdom, and have been subdued by the Romans, they should not now complain, but should remember their own faults. They should now be satisfied, because they had not given unto God the things that are God's. But the Jews did not want to do this. Their minds were intent only on regaining their kingdom and their rights. Therefore the Lord says, No, the emperor of Rome shall serve my purpose, If you will not willingly bear the well-merited visitations which I have caused to come upon you, he shall compel you. The kingdom was not promised to the Jews under any other condition than that it should be pious. Otherwise they should lose all, both their rights and the kingdom. Similar must be our conduct in our day in regard to the Turks. Because they are worse than heathens, it appears to be wrong that they should gain the victory over Christians. But let us not merely ask what the Turks are, but what we are before God. Then we shall be convinced that we are not suffering any wrong. Why do the papists hold tenaciously to idolatry and persecute the word? And why do not we, having the pure gospel, mend our ways and live as it becomes Christians? This is the one point which is presented for our consideration today. The other point refers to the difference between civil government and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord does not condemn civil government, but confirms it with house, estate, food, the family, and the other states without which an empire could not exist. When the Saviour says, Give unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, he tells us in other words, If you are a citizen, a peasant, a nobleman, a prince, a husband, a wife, a man servant, or a maid servant, be contented and do not disturb the existing empire. Servants, serve your master. Child, be subject to father and mother. These relations I do not want to sever nor destroy. They are Caesar's, and he cannot do without them. Neither are they in opposition to my kingdom, which is not of this world. We should here learn that whoever wants to be a Christian must not refuse obedience to civil government in order to be free, nor change his calling and begin something new, as the monks have been doing, who thought they could not be saved if they continued in the temporal calling. No, Christ says, this ought not to be. I do not want to destroy civil governments by my preaching. Continue in your calling and give unto Caesar what you owe him. In this God does not wish to disturb you. It does not interfere with your obedience to him. Besides this, you are required also to give unto God the things which are God's. That is, believe in the Lord Jesus, hear and accept the gospel, and continue in the fear of God according to his commandments. Be merciful, kind, and patient. Let this be your offering unto God. It will be acceptable unto him. But as regards the body, estate, calling, and occupation, let Caesar also be heard. In this way full harmony may exist between God and Caesar, which the Jews endeavored to destroy by giving neither to God nor to Caesar the things which belong to them. But here we should notice that as God does not wish to destroy the government of Caesar, because you are not disturbed thereby in your faith, and in your relation toward God, whatever your calling may be, as you may be a Christian in any other, so Caesar should not disturb in any way the government of God, nor prevent the people from giving unto him the things which are his. What these are was stated above, namely, cheerfully to hear his word, to conform our lives thereto, and not to oppose it in any way. More than this we cannot give unto God here on earth. In the performance of his duty, Caesar, or the civil government, should not disturb the subjects. In case this should be done, the subjects should refuse to be obedient and rather suffer the consequences which may follow. Therefore, it is one of the most heinous sins when the civil government requires obedience which conflicts with obedience toward God, as, for instance, when a government forbids the pure doctrine, or punishes its subjects because they insist on taking the full sacrament as it was instituted by Christ, or— compel the people to take part in idolatrous exercises, in masses for the departed, in indulgences, invocation of the saints, etc. In these things civil powers act beyond their office and interfere with obedience toward God. God demands of us, first of all, to hear and observe His word. If civil governments should demand the contrary, their subjects should know that they do not owe obedience. For it is written, We ought to obey God rather than men. And the Lord not only commands us to give unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, but also to God the things which are God's. If civil government want to be offended on account of such obedience toward God and His Word, and to put their subjects into prison or even take their lives, Christians must bear it and comfort themselves with the Scriptures. Caesar, or the civil government, it is true, is our lord but he is not our only lord we have one besides him who is greater and more powerful the lord god in heaven if one of these two must be offended by being disobedient either to god or to caesar it be- it is better by disobedience to offend caesar than god the reason is that if by disobedience to god You will endeavor to please Caesar, God is a Lord who is willing and able to punish your disobedience with hellfire and eternal death. This misery no one should be willing to endure, and all should a thousand times rather offend Caesar, who, however angry he may be, can punish disobedience with temporal punishment only. By the name Caesar, I do not mean this or that person, but all governments in general. This is also the meaning of Christ when he says, Give unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. Then, Take into consideration the reward also. If you are obedient to God and keep His sayings, you shall receive heaven and eternal life as a reward for your obedience. But if, on the other hand, contrary to God's command, you render unreasonable and sinful obedience to your superiors who gratify you for a short time only, you shall suffer for it in all eternity. By this poor Christians should be guided, who in our day live under governments which deprive them of God's word and compel them to take part in the idolatry of the Pope and false worship. God will not be trifled with. He wants you to give unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, but to God also the things which are God's. And this is quite reasonable. Caesar, or civil government, does not give us any more than food, eating and drinking, clothing, protection, peace and whatever else belongs to this transient life. But from God we have life and existence, and also the hope of everlasting life. And because we are permitted to enjoy Him always, why should we give up on account of man and serve man instead of serving Him? God forbid that this should take place. Let the consequences be as He pleases. Civil governments also should understand better the claims to which their office entitles them. If Christ had said, Give unto Caesar all he asks or is in, is in your possession, they would have been entitled to ask and take all. But he plainly says, Give unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. That is, he is entitled to a certain amount only, and that ought to satisfy him. If he undertakes to ask more, even that which belongs to God, you are right in contending that you do not owe it, neither dare you give it if you do not want to forfeit your salvation of your souls. Caesar has no power to ask it, and God himself has forbidden to give it. The fact that civil authorities, and especially the bishops, who, according to their present position, are nothing more than civil officers, treat the poor people in a shameful manner is a great calamity.